Securities offered through Securities America, Inc. Member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Investors Advantage and the Securities America companies are separate entities. The opinions and forecasts expressed are those of the author, may not actually come to pass, and should not be construed as a recommendation of any security or investment plan. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Welcome, folks. John Grace and Daniel Medina here on Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. So glad you could spend some time with us this afternoon. And we've got a lot of things to cover. And let me just say, we were expecting to uh, have our two guests on this week. They're going to be on next week. Apparently, there was an emergency that came up, but this will include uh, Dr. He's a PhD, Richard Beswick, Vice President, Research and Chief Research Officer at Cottage Hospital, Cottage Health, along with Dr. Lynn Fitz Gibbons, MD, who's an infection disease expert. And of course, we're going to be getting the full take on what's going on with the new variation uh, or variations of COVID-19. Now it's COVID-20, right? Uh, what's around the corner? How is it that people don't seem to want to be vaccinated? And what worries them? And we think it, it's always best not to listen to the news so much as we can get to the, the details from experts in the field. And we're talking about the VP of research uh, and uh, chief Re research officer and a, a bona fide physician. Clearly we're getting to what we think are the best and the brightest. So you and I can make better, if not more informed decisions and getting the material right from the horse's mouth, if you will, as opposed to try to wonder if the news is fake or if the source is not good. Let's go to the sources, the folks who are doing the, the work that they do day after day and ask them, what do you see? What worries you? What's the worst case scenario? We like to start there. If you're ready for the worst case scenario, you can probably weather whatever the storm might be, right? But it's when we tend to be complacent. And that's what we talk about a lot because we see it a lot where people go, oh, all trees grow to the sky. Everything's beautiful. Uh, let's just enjoy our lives because we can get back to things the way they were. And, and we don't see how things are coming apart at the seams. And then we leave ourselves open to that OS moment that stands for oh shucks, right? Of course it does. So that's what we'll be handling um, next week. So please, please stay tuned next week. Same time, same bat station. And we'll bring in our two, our one uh, PhD and our one MD to look at uh, this COVID uh, conversion and what's going on with this Delta virus and what do they foresee uh, in the very near future. So tune in next week. Today, we're going to talk about three subjects, when to consolidate your 401k plans and when not to. We like to look at things on, on, on both sides of the coin and also give you guidance. We don't want to leave you like economists often do on the one hand and then on the other hand, and you feel like you're left in the median in the middle of the street, not getting a sense for, well, what do you believe? What are you doing? <laughs> well, not only what should I do, but which direction do you think this is going and what are your odds? Give me that information and maybe I can figure out what I need to do as opposed to, well, 50-50 doesn't really give me any direction whatsoever. So we'll look at both sides of that equation when to consolidate your 401ks. We also want to look at relative to 401ks, what does it take to become a millionaire? And, and part of that question becomes how much of a millionaire do you need to be? Because a lot of people will set the bar very low or they'll make some arbitrary contribution. I'm saving $1,000 a month and I'm like, how did you come up with that number? What target are you trying to hit? And they don't know. So we want you to spend more time on what are you trying to do? As Daniel says, with this money, what is your target? Let's do the math so that you can see exactly what you're doing, as opposed to coming up with some arbitrary figure. We can't tell what the source was. Oh, that was just easy for you to do. That's not a good way to go about determining how to make sure there's enough money as you need it on your timeline. And then we want to look at this bubble warning. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of them, well, at least ones we're going to talk about today. And the first one is uh, as far as the Standard & Poor's 500 is concerned. We've only seen prices this expensive 4% of the time in the past 140 years. That's right. 
4% of the time in the past 140 years. So these times are different, but this is not the time just to turn out the lights and become Rip Van Winkle and wake up and go, oh man, look at what just happened to my money. So let's look at uh, what's going on with the markets. And as you know, we like to not just look at it on a daily basis, but to look at it from the beginning of the year through today. We think that gives you a better indication of what's going on. Again, we'll talk about what we see going on, but so far from January 1 through today, and the market will close at about 52 minutes, the Dow Jones is up 13.5%. That's a, an excellent number. We really hope that holds throughout the year. Uh, we do have our doubts about that, by the way, but uh, those are great annualized numbers. And this is just what, July 21st. So we're a little bit over the 50% uh, mark for the year 2021, right? It's going fast. Time flies when you're having fun. And those are, those are really strong numbers. Again, we hope they will hold. The S&P 500, about the same, uh, year to date up 15.86%. Again, we would not be unhappy to finish the year with numbers like that. And here comes the NASDAQ holding its own year to date up 13.21%. So again, those are, those are very good numbers, but we wanna look at uh, how, how, what happens when they turn upside down. Everybody enjoys the melt up. Hardly anyone we see as uh, ordinary investors are prepared for a meltdown. And that's when things get dicey. It's hard to have a nice day. And certainly Daniel and I saw, what was it, uh, first quarter 2020, uh, people in their 70s who uh, around the middle to third or fourth week of March were very concerned with what they saw happening to their money in real time. I mean, you could see the worry on their faces. And, and, the, and, and what we like to say is, well, if you haven't learned anything from the last time your account came apart at the seams, what makes you think you're gonna be prepared for the next time? And, and just as hope is not a strategy, neither is worry, it's not going to help. So we submit that it's better to look back to see how your accounts have operated first quarter 2020, let's go back to 2008, look at 2018, because if those, if your accounts experience the same kind of negative performance during that time, it's probably safe to consider that in the next time, it's gonna do something similar. What can you do to learn from the past, not just repeat it, and see what you can do from the past to be better prepared perhaps for the surprises that are certainly, you know they are baked into the cake. So let's turn our attention to looking at uh, 401k plans. Um, and Daniel was really uh, fascinated with this market watch story, looking at how it, it can be easier to consolidate retirement accounts, but want you to look at all the factors before you just uh, pull the plug. So what got your attention here, Daniel? This is a common problem for a lot of people because what happens a lot of times is people kind of start these 401k plans and then they'll leave jobs uh, or they'll start new jobs, they'll start another plan and that'll happen a few times and no one really knows how their plan works or what it's doing for them and they end up with a bunch of different 401k plans all over the place and if, believe it or not, it's actually kind of easy to lose these accounts. Like we see it all the time where people come back and say, hey, I had an account I knew I had a 401k account at some job, sometime, no idea what happened to it. Can you help me find it? <laughs> exactly. And the answer is always yes. We can always help you. We can always find it. But if you don't lose it in the first place, then it doesn't have to be found. So one of the things that we want you to do is get an idea on how your 401k plan works. To do that, there's every 401k plan has something called a summary plan document. And that's a, it's a very brief, usually one page or two pages. And it's a description on how the plan works, what your contribution limits are, what they'll match for you, uh, hardship withdrawals, all those, all those important little details on how your plan works. That's where you're gonna find that information in the summary plan description. So now when, you're, when you leave a job, you have a few options with your 401k plan. You can leave it where it is, as long as they will let you. You can take it with you in the form of a distribution or a rollover, and you can put it, in, and then you can put it in your, in your four, in a new four hundred one k if your if your company offers one, or you can roll it into an IRA. So the the question becomes, what, how do you determine what to do with it? The one of the first things we want you to look at is what are you paying for the four hundred one k plan? Super common, John. What does everyone think their four hundred one k costs? It's free. Everyone thinks it's free. 
almost across the board, everyone thinks my 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 company's paying for the account. I don't pay anything, and my plan is is absolutely free. And how many times do you get service for free? <laughs> yeah. Never. Never. It doesn't. It doesn't happen. Every four hundred one k plan has different levels of fee. Now, the, one of the question is, what are you bearing, and what is the plan bearing? Every four hundred one k plan is different. Some can pass on all the expenses. Some can bear all the expense, most of the expenses. But the question is, what are you paying? There's a couple different levels of fees. So to keep it simple, there's the plan expenses that you may or may not be paying, and then there's the fund expenses. And the fund expenses are what we're going to focus on today. So what one of the things to know is what are you paying for your internal investments? Typically, in most 401k plans, the only option that's available is mutual funds. And mutual funds have fees that are anywhere from 0.1% to 3 or 4% on an annual basis. So the question is, what are you paying, what are you paying for those investments? Fees aren't necessarily a bad thing but we want to limit them where, when we can't. That means you have to be conscious of what you're paying first. So find out what your fees are and that, that will help you determine if it's worth staying where you're at. Well, and then, you know, it seems that people change jobs and forget about where they left some money, right? So it's, speaking of keeping it simple, it often makes a lot of sense to just have one plan. So maybe you change- Well, we'll get to that point. <laughs> okay, all right. But you don't wanna leave them, right? Like they're, they're forgotten children. <laughs> There's not a lot of point since you already went there. There's not a lot of point in collecting different 401 play plan plans. The the nice thing about having multiple plans is you're not paying. You're not exactly paying. You are paying multiple fees, but your fee is always a percentage of your account value. So you're not usually paying ex excess fees for having multiple plans. You might be able to save expenses if you put them all together, because a lot of times the more money you have in one place, the less expensive it is. You get volume discounts. And that's the truth. It is volume discount and typically the company is picking up all or part of those costs, but it is important for you to see what the costs are. It's also important for you to recognize with traditional uh, 401k accounts, and I mean like 100% of them, you can have a thousand options, right? Name all of these positions and think that you're diversified, but at the end of the day, it's a choice between cash, bonds, and stocks. That's it. That's what your choices are. And when you roll over your 401k into an IRA, guess what? The world of options suddenly becomes available to you that you never imagined. Active management becomes available to you. We've talked about diversification, unlike you've been, you've ever diversified before. That becomes available to you as a function of rolling it over. It's not right for everyone, but it is one of those things that we think people should consider. Well, that was, that's actually the second point. What are you invested in? And you're right, John, virtually all the time, it's, it's, there's just cash, stocks, and bonds. That's not true 100% of the time. There are 401k plans that can give you some alternatives. And private equity is actually going to be introduced into 401k It's growing, yes. Coming soon. And annuities are going to be options in 401k plans. So they're, they're, getting, they're getting better. They're not great yet, but they're getting better. But the challenge, one of the challenges, one of the big challenges with the 401k plan is you as a participant only have access to what the company will allow you to invest in. They give you a menu of, of, of funds. Here's are the, here are the sometimes five, sometimes a hundred. Here are the menu of funds that you have, that you have access to. Pick which one you want. Now that's not a bad thing, but you're limited. In, in the 401k space, that's the way it works. If you put it, if you're doing it yourself, you have the, the world of investment options available to you. So you go from having five options to having hundreds of thousands of options. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but you have much more options, which means you can, you can increase your diversification. You can use different kinds of investments. You can lower your fees. You have more flexibility. Oftentimes we find it's, it's advantageous to have more options available. So we'd like moving money out of the 401k plan when we when we can if only for that reason well I mean, you want to make it more complicated i mean we were just looking at the yale endowment as an example over 31 billion dollars and this isn't a template we're not making this a suggestion we're just saying that success leaves clues and what we count happens to be eight different legs underneath this portfolio stool eight legs that's a whole lot more than stocks, bonds, and cash, right? That's eight legs is more than three legs. I think that's not complicated. So we like greater diversification. We like being in things that won't hurt you and things that might uh, provide a surprise to the upside, like 2008, where it looked like everything went down like the Titanic, but not everything did. 
So there's always some things that are going up while other things are going down, unless we're in two asset classes like 2008 when bonds got hurt and stocks got crushed. Uh, it didn't matter for most people where their money was because they had it in the kind of positions that fully participated in the decline. We'd prefer for us to see in your, on your behalf some upside somewhere, and we have to be there well in advance to see that upside. But if it's all in one position, it's going to do all the same things to the upside as well to the downside. Well, the last point, yes. the last point before we go to break is when and where, when are you going to retire and how much do you need for retirement? Now, this is going to be more of a planning question and not so much on where your 401k is, but it, it can become easier to make this, to, to to plan for this if you have everything in one place. Um, when you're planning for retirement, um, often one of the first questions you, you're gonna have to answer is how much do you have saved? And if you don't know where your money's at, you're not gonna be able to answer that question. If you know, I, have, I know I have four, four 401ks, but two of them are gone now. I have no idea what the value is. I have no idea where to add access them. I don't know how you're, gonna, how you're gonna start to answer that question. So it's gonna help you kind of figure out when and how much you need to retire because you can work backwards from that. If your goal is to retire at 66 and we have $100,000 in 401k plans, we can work backwards to figure out how much you need to save for retirement to make that, to make that work. But we need to know where your plans are and how much you have in them. Well, and does the, the, this kind of discussion just pertain to 401ks, Daniel, or does it no. uh, include like 403bs and things of that nature so everybody can see we're really all in this together? We're, well, when we say 401ks, you're right, John, we're talking about all company-sponsored plans, 401ks, 403bs, 457, uh, deferred compensation plans. For our, for, for our intents and purposes, it's all the same. And that's what's so important too, folks. Don't get... Uh, lost in the nomenclature. The, the, the num numbers have to do with where the source of the funds originated in terms of who's in what plans. But for the most part, they all work almost identically. And most of them can be rolled over into one single account in an IRA rollover without paying the taxes, moving from a 401k or 403b into an IRA at, 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 without paying taxes on that transfer. All right, so we're gonna leave that one there and we're gonna have a quick break and we'll be right back after this important message. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit ybpoor.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's ybpoor.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. John Grace and Daniel Medina here, Fiscal Fitness, Voice America. Glad you could spend some time with us this afternoon, and we want to turn our attention to Becoming a 401k millionaire. Remember when a million dollars was a whole lot of money? 
And, and by the way, a million dollars, if you're following the 4% uh, general guideline in terms of withdrawal rate, maybe you're getting six, seven, eight percent That's the return annually. You're withdrawing at 4%. That means an income of a whopping $40,000. Now, if you have good social security on top of that, or you can live within that kind of range, go with God. You're good to go, okay? But for many of us, $40,000 just doesn't do what it used to do. And that's from a million dollar account, which it's still a lot of money. It's just maybe not enough money for you. And that's part of the question that we're going to keep hammering, okay? We see so many cases of people who just kind of park their money here, there, anywhere, throwing darts in the dark, not recognizing what it is they need this money to do, and, and not taking the time to plan. I get our uh, trademark is the proof is in the planning, and that uh, comes from the heart, folks. So you've got to do the plan. No different than planning a wedding or planning your next vacation whether it's for a weekend, for a week, you spend a lot of time doing the planning with the attitude we can do this. And that's the kind of attitude we do need to have as far as math and money management is concerned. We can do this. We might need some help and nothing wrong with that. I mean, you're not going to pull off the trip to Europe all by yourself. <laughs> There's no way to do that. So you don't need to try and be a selfer, a self uh, investor, so alone, solo. Uh, you can be, uh, you can get the assistance that you, that you need and then make sure that you're giving the job the attention that it deserves from those who do this job every day, 24 seven, they're probably a little sharper uh, and they're probably a little more aware of what your options are and can help you see some of the difficulties, some of the blind spots and some of the holes. So the good news is from Fidelity, we can see that uh, in the first quarter of 2021, the number of 401k and IRA millionaires reached an all time high. That's the good news. We, they're showing that we're past pandemic levels, pre-pandemic levels. There are more than 365,000 Fidelity investors boast seven-figure 401k balances, along with more than 307,000 IRA millionaires. So you know, a well-funded retirement account, we would agree, can afford you the financial security you need after your career ends. But to become a 401k millionaire, there are some steps that you should follow. So Daniel's going to guide us through the, some of these steps that we think are good ideas. So the first one is this is this is the real easy one start early now for the most part everyone misses this part when you're in your 20s that's when you really should be started and that's when you don't think about these things because it's 40 years away or 50 years away and who wants to think about something that far away but that is by far your biggest weapon in in this fight start early get the time on your side and that's the point. Use time to your advantage because it is your friend with time and it's your foe with less time. Because to get to the same point, it clearly means you have to build a bigger snowball. Yes, yes. And you're not, you're not, you don't know, for the most part, no one knows how big their snowball needs to be. And that's two. A million dollars sounds like a good number. It sounds like it should be enough. The reality is for a lot of people, it's not. John kind of alluded to this in the last, when he was talking, but what you did, a million dollars today can produce about $40,000 a year in income per, per year for the rest of your life. That's what, we, that's what we account for from a planning standpoint. So if you run this kind of backwards, if today you're making 100,000 and your goal is to save a million dollars, that can produce 40. Now, let's, you're going to have some Social Security, so let's say that's another $25,000 a year. Now you got $65,000 a year. You're still short $35,000 just to keep the same standard of living today without accounting for inflation. So if we're talking about 20 years from now, then that month number likely has to double. So now we're $135,000 short of your goal. Ouch. And then we're talking about accounting for inflation. That's something you need to do annually. You're hearing about inflation these days. Uh, Fed has wanted to get us to 2%. We don't really understand that logic, but it looks like we're going to be far north of that. And you might remember the double-digit inflation rates. We don't think we'll get back to that again, but it is something that we need to account for to keep our eye on the ball. But we also need to 
make sure we keep our eye on the ball from the standpoint of limiting the losses. So Daniel, if we've got a million dollar account and let's suppose there's a market hurricane that takes that account down to 500,000, it was safe to take uh, $40,000 out with a 4% withdrawal. If you have to have that 4% withdrawal and the account went from $1 million to 500,000, in other words, it got cut in half, what do you now need to make that withdrawal rate, Daniel, to achieve the same $40,000 annual income on well, 500,000? You, you got to double it. So you got to go from a 4% to an 8% withdrawal. And what's wrong with that? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's not sustainable is, is, the, is the big thing. So for most, the reason we go with 4% as, as a withdrawal rate is for the most part, we're, we're fairly confident based on long-term averages that a 4% withdrawal is sustainable because our accounts are for the most part going to average more than 4%. So if we're taking out four and let's say our account is, is averaging six, that gives us some room for growth. And the growth is what we need to give you raises later on in life and keep your income going up because everything gets more expensive. So we need to account for that. So if we're averaging six or seven and we're taking out four, then we not only do we not go into getting the principal, we can afford to give you some more. We can afford to take more money out later to, to account for that inflation. But if you get if your money gets cut in half and now you're taking out eight percent and your the same account is now averaging six or seven percent, now you're going into principal every year. And do you think that'll ever get back to where it was with that combination? As we're potentially, taking out potentially, yeah. but it's a long shot. Yeah. It's a Hail Mary pass. Think of it you that need, way, folks. You need a lot of big returns in there to make that happen. And that's, no. that's, just, not, that's just not reasonable. Or, and suppose it's uh, two or three years of flat markets or losses, two or three years. Now the odds have just evaporated right before your very eyes. You have too much, month at the, too, much mo too little money at the end of every month. And you can't make this up with tr those gains. It just becomes a, a, a proposition where the odds are just not in your favor at all. So that's why we would emphasize to you, it's important, I, I can't say this enough, to recognize how maybe you had two 50% losses when you were working during the same 10-year period, but can you afford for that to happen again when you're taking withdrawals? The answer is no, <laughs> not one bit. However, if you could limit those declines and continue the withdrawals so that the recovery is maybe 20% or 25% to get back to even, as opposed to needing 100 or 150% to get back to even as you're taking withdrawals. You, we all know that when you find yourself in a ditch, the first thing you do is stop digging, right? But so many of these accounts are poised to just keep digging as you're taking withdrawals. So let's recognize the huge distinction between the past where you could experience these declines, but you were working, you certainly weren't taking out money, you might have even been making contributions during those declines, so your, your accounts enjoyed all of that upside, it's a whole new ball game once we walk through that door of looking to take withdrawals for 10, 20, 30 years. You're 100% right, John. And this is something as, a, as an industry we don't focus on or we haven't focused on yet. And I think it's primarily because there wasn't, wasn't enough people in the distribution phase to, to garner enough attention. Most people were in the accumulation phase. And as more people get into retirement ages, people are going to have to focus on this more. But when you get into distribution, it's a completely different mindset and a different strategy from a money man, from a money management standpoint, or from a money investment standpoint to accumulation. When you're putting money together, you 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 constantly have money going into the account. So time works on your side. It doesn't matter if you see a bad market here and there because you have more time on your side and you keep putting more money in. On the flip side, when you're taking money out, those losses become very dangerous. You've already kind of talked about the math, but let's let's say you have three flat years of, of zero return and you're taking out 4% per year. Well, the first year you take out 4%, your account's flat, so your, your, your total account value is down 4%. Next year you take out the same 4%. So now you're taking out 4% on a little less money. So now it's more like a 5% decline in your account value and the same thing the next year. So now it's like a 6% decline. So you put that together, now your account's down 15% over four years, over three years, and now you have to make that back first before you can get back into the profit area. So that means you have to have a one-year return of 15%. That's not impossible, net. but yeah, net, that's not impossible, but it's, it's, it's not, you can't count on that. So well, it becomes, not only the challenge becomes much harder to keep that account value going up when you're taking money out. And, and let's just look at history. You have been through as an investor a 10 year period of time 
where effectively the market was flat for a five to 10 year period. Could that be in your future? Nobody knows, but that's why it's so important for you to learn from the past, not just repeat it, and look to see how there might be a way to limit your losses, where there might be a way to design the portfolio so that you can see the evidence that this is the loss I can manage and the portfolio that I can see in real numbers has performed within that loss parameter, whatever, however you set it. Is it 80%? Is it 12%? Is it 8%? That's the question that we like to help people answer as opposed to asking you what we consider a very dumb question. Are you conservative, moderate, or aggressive? Everybody wants to think they're conservative. Their portfolios often reveal an entirely different story. We believe the portfolio. We will not listen to you when we're looking at the portfolio, but we'll come back and ask the questions we think more definitively for you to discover, probably for the first time, what kind of market loss can you live with and then see if there's a way that that might have been your experience. Past performance is no guarantee of anything in the future. But again, if the account was off 50% when the market was off 50%, what makes you think it's going to hold up better, any, any better the next time relative to the last time? Probably it's going to perform, perform pretty similarly. We want things that can weather those storms so you can live to tell your story as opposed to, oh my goodness, Daniel, I need to die because my account value just died. So the next thing on the list on getting first getting to the million dollar mark is contribute regularly um, for 401k plans for company sponsor plans. This is this is an easier one because you just set it up from your pay as a payroll deduction comes right out of your bank account. It comes right out of your bank account and you can kind of forget it. Um, some people think that they're going to they're going to start it later or they'll put money here and uh, put money aside here and there just set it up as an automatic contribution it won't get any it won't get any simpler than that and actually what happens is you kind of forget about it and it just kind of goes on its own and it keeps building and after a couple of years you'll be surprised on how much you've saved and how much has grown well and we want you to focus on it don't just forget about it it's so easy to do and run it and, and that becomes the pattern and for many people we will work with them so that they can come up with an amount that is budgetable if you will but then look at it annually because if you need to be at 10, 15, 16%, it might take you a while to ramp up to that. We'd like to see you get there as soon as possible. But sometimes people find out they can start at a lower level and every year increase the contribution by let's say one or 2%, not see that show up in any meaningful way in terms of their income on an after-tax basis. But now they can see, are we on track? If I contribute at this level, get this return, will I have the example we use often is the, uh, remember we're doing doing work for frontline workers. They're still essential. We appreciate all that you guys do. And we will do a free financial plan for frontline workers across the country at no cost so that you can see, like we did one for one couple, that they need $2.6 million to make work optional on their terms. Then now, so they have a goal. They can see it for the first time. It means in their case, setting aside, what was it, Daniel, 15% of their $100,000 combined income. That's roughly $1,300 a month, getting a 6 or 7% return. They can see if these factors Factors happen to line up well, they know they're on track to, to get that amount of money and then be able to get the equivalent of $100,000 from the difference after accounting for a small pension and, and Social Security. That's what we do, solve for the difference, but then make sure we review this because it's so easy to get out of whack or you wake up one day and, and we, we assumed inflation was 3% and you wake up, it's 13%. We need to redo the numbers still. Don't set it and forget it. So that's that's the next that's the next thing is how much to contribute and the the best way to do it is to work backwards to figure out what contributions you and your wife or your spouse your family needs to make work optional at some point in the absence of actually doing that work we're going to say contribute the maximum or the max that you can now the max in a 401k is nineteen thousand five hundred per year a lot of people can't do that so what I'm going to say is contribute the max that you can that hurts a little bit so you should feel that contribution when it comes out if you make if you start with a 401k contribution and you don't notice it it's not enough make it higher you should it should hurt a little bit not so much where it's gonna you're not gonna be able to eat every month but enough where you notice the deduction coming out. And once what will happen is you will get used to that dollar amount and you will stop noticing it then you want to increase it because obviously you've gotten accustomed to that amount, you could do a little bit more. What about the company match? Is that good enough? Always, no, the company match is often not good enough. 
a lot of times with the with the max there's a couple different ways the matches work sometimes sometimes companies have um, an automatic contribution that they will make on your behalf sometimes they will match match part or 100 of your contribution when they match your contribution it's typically maxed between three to five percent every company has a different matching um formula so find out what your company's formula is it's good information to know but if you're only doing what the max that that they will do to max uh, if you're only doing what they will do to max your contribution that's typically not enough because you're just contributing three to five percent and that's all take the company match yeah take it but don't think that's sufficient well what are we going to just take the free money but not recognize that maybe another two hundred dollars could make all the difference in the world to you but that's why it's so important to do the math and not just do it once but don't, don't make it so easy that you can't see that this is insufficient. This will, there's you know, an arbitrary amount is what's going in. It's easy if you're on autopilot, but you don't see that you, you need $40,000 a year, right? And you come up with 500,000 to 4% on that is $20,000 a year. Oh boy, that's, uh, that's not gonna work. All right, so we're gonna take a uh, quick break and we'll be right back with uh, what we're seeing in terms of uh, this bubble and how we know that all bubbles burst. Please stay tuned. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit ybpoor.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's ybpoor.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, my friends. John Grace and Daniel Medina here, Fiscal Fitness on Voice America. And we want to dive into uh, bubble warning, right? Even seven-year-olds around the world know that all bubbles burst 100% of the time. There are no exceptions. And let's put it in perspective because we, we've studied bubbles in the past. The first one that we studied with Dent Research, the team that we have paid uh, thousands of dollars to for independent objective research, really had us focus our attention on the first bubble in modern times. Now, modern times in this case was in the 1600s and it was uh, 1634 to 1637. Looking at the Netherlands, hold on your hat here, at one point with a box of tulips, you could have bought an estate. That's right. That lasted for about three years. And then all bubbles burst about 1637 or so, best we can tell. The price of a tulip reverted to about the price of a lemon. I don't know what those prices were, but it certainly wasn't all that in a bag of chips of where you could buy an estate with a box of something that you put in the ground, right? That happened once. 
we believe that we are in a similar environment today. So we want to look at some of the pieces of the puzzle. And this is at the same time, for example, today, stocks look like they're pushing higher, probably finish pretty strongly uh, after looking at strong corporate earnings. Now, some people just close the door and say, hey, look, that's all I need to know. Well, maybe that's all you want to know because it's easy, but we're going to suggest that you dig a little deeper, just as you might look under the hood. Remember when guys used to look under the hood? Is it a four? Is it an eight? Is it a 12-cylinder? Is it a 16-cylinder? Let's look under the hood to see what we're dealing with. And when we look behind some of the headlines, uh, thanks to debt research, we see something very interesting that certainly are clouds on the horizon. And it starts with China. And let me say this to kind of put things in perspective that I think we learned thanks to COVID that we're all in this together. I mean, we are drinking the same water, we're breathing the same air, and we're flying the same airplane. So let's not think that our turf is protected because we're all connected. Look at the Olympics, we're all connected. So here's what we see that really draws our attention first and foremost. Looking at China, we're seeing a developer default on $4.1 billion as of mid-March this year, annualized, that's close to a $20 billion default. So real estate developers are 29% of China's economic output, and they are defaulting again after their debt growth peaked at 57% in 2017, and a housing market that has grown six times in value in 15 years since 2005. Now, does that sound familiar? housing increased six times in value over the last 15 years, we would call that a bubble. And let's agree, all bubbles burst. So now that's what I'm saying. Does this sound familiar? Because we're seeing the same kind of situation in the U.S. as well as in the rest of the developed world. So China has the greatest bubble in real estate globally and the highest valuations compared with income in the world. And now the chickens are coming to roost, coming home to roost, with $20 billion in defaults expected this year. <laughs> we only have six more, less than six months left. So it, the, this doesn't sound like a lot in the picture of a $14 trillion economy, but here's the deal. When bubbles start to burst, there is always a snowball effect. The more home prices drop, the more the defaults, the more the prices, then drop again and so on and so forth. Now, we're not trying to scare you what we are trying to do is get your attention. As we are fond of saying, when we are complacent, we're not paying attention. And the question becomes, to the extent that these things occur, what can you do to keep your assets intact? What can you do to keep your assets from being handed to you? You don't want to be kicked in the assets. We, that's just not fun. And let's understand that the real problem may be the, the, the decline may be more severe than you imagined and the recovery may take longer than you ever thought. So this is so important to be able to look at how we can keep things intact uh, as opposed to just hoping that things work out. So we see with the China Fortune land development, they've already developed it, defaulted on 1.34 billion and has 10 billion in total debt that is also likely to default in the future. So we've looked at 15 top developers in China and we see uh, they range from green to red as they cross three consecutive lines of default, yellow, orange, and then red. But the largest developer, the one most watched by the nervous government of China is China Everglades at 129 billion. It also has the worst rating. It's totally in the red. The smallest happens to be a company called Microlink at 3.6 billion. On average, the 15 developers are $23.2 billion in red. In red. So when we look at real estate, the Dent uh, organization believes it won't be, they won't be surprised at all to see China in full real estate recession collapse uh, maybe by 2022 and global real estate in the, around the world will fall following China. Uh, they're suggesting that home prices, remember they were off about 34% 2008, uh, we believe that that uh, endpoint was the result of uh, major companies like BlackRock, for example, buying thousands of homes they never intend to ever see. Uh, they're in that business. They can get out of it at any time. We think that's what kept the decline from being more severe. But this next time around, of course, the companies 
They're not, they have no emotional attachment to those houses, right? They can sell them any way they like at any time they like. I would not want to compete with them. Their uh, debt research is suggesting that home prices could very well go down this next time, 40 to 50%, and maybe more than, and, and certainly that's more than the 34% decline we saw from 2006 to 2012. So there are things that can be done with liquid assets that we've talked about in terms of being able to move out of stocks or bonds and into cash. That's what one version of active management as the market's going down. It doesn't mean we hold the same number of shares. We, instead of holding those shares, we position, we sell them routinely. Maybe it's daily, maybe it's monthly. There's, there's no uh, agenda. It's looking at the account daily. Is it risk on or risk off? Are we putting coal on this fire to heat it up or water on this fire to heat it, to, to cool it off? That's what we want for all liquid positions to, to limit the losses as best we can. Because we've seen so many times that savvy investors hate losses more than they love gains. So that's what we can do with liquid investments. When it comes to illiquid investments, you're either all in or you're all out. There's not many ways that I'm aware of where we can hedge against illiquid positions. So it's, it's, we think it's smart for people not just to expect that prices are gonna to continue to surprise us to the upside. At some point, we understand buy low, sell high. At some point, it, it makes sense to look at maybe it's time to take some money off the table, let the market do what it's going to do. You have a lot less emotional attachment, like none, when you're sitting in cash as opposed to you sitting with the equity around you, hopeful that that equity is going to recover within your lifetime. And, and I say that, I'm not being facetious. For example, we talked about China, I'm sorry, Japan, where real estate prices peaked around 1991, and they have yet to get back to even. Wrap your mind around that. That's now 30 years. And prices in Japan dropped on average 70%. They have not gotten back to even yet, by the way, nor has the Nikkei 225, that's the stock market in Japan, the equivalent of our S&P 500. Last I looked, uh, the Nikkei was about 27, 28,000. It peaked at 40,000. So clearly it's still more than 20%, uh, less than it was 30 two years ago when it peaked uh, around 12, 29, 1989, if I'm not mistaken, it has also yet to come back to even. So imagine you were 50, 89, 91, and now you're 80, 81, 82, and it doesn't look like it's gonna happen on your watch. That's the regret that we certainly don't want people to experience. So we wanna make sure people keep their eyes wide open. We must be vigilant and we must prepare for the good, the bad, and the unforeseen. So when it comes to the stock market, on July 12th, the S&P posted a new all-time record of 43.85. Just to put that into perspective, we're at 43.48 as of this moment, but 43.85 on my dad's birthday, July 12th, and that extended the gain since the start of 2021 for the peak to about 16%. But the market reached another milestone that should gravely concern prudent investors. And this comes from Robert Schiller, the Yale economist and Nobel laureate. He has a valuation gauge that is quite highly respected in the industry that shows that the S&P is now pricier than in 96% of all quarters over the past 141 years. Is this time different? It certainly appears so. Put on the other, let's turn that around. It, it says that big cap stocks have been this expensive, expensive only 4% of the time in the recorded history of equity markets. Hmm. So this suggests that the reading is so extreme that stocks may be soaring in a speculative frenzy, unhinged from fundamentals. That's what we've talked about here, because that's part of what we are, we are concerned about. It spotlights the bull's view that the current regime of super slim interest rates means that big caps can sustain or even expand these nosebleed price earnings multiples virtually never before seen. The Schiller data points to a different outcome. Just because the equities are likely to beat ultra low yielding treasuries in the years ahead does not mean stocks will keep delivering strong gains. Like I say, we're looking at 13, 14% so far this year. Will that continue? We hope so, but it may not. In fact, to the contrary, this data suggests that treasuries will do extremely poorly and the S&P may very well underperform as well, only less so. So we submit that uh, in the US, big caps will battle these 
three powerful head, headwinds. First, the fall in real rates that has done so much to lift valuations will inevitably reverse. Second, that downdraft pressures today's high-flying PE multiples. Third, the U.S. economy is destined to grow at a far slower pace than in recent decades, reducing profit gains from stupendous before uh, the pandemic to slim in the years ahead. And since mid-2020, it's been all about momentum. Going forward, it will be all about the other big M, and that's the market math, that four-letter word that Americans, the only four-letter word we don't use here in America. Now, there is another side to this, uh, this story as, as well. Uh, when we see in the past that when the, uh, this is a, a big sign of trouble, but if you flip it on its ear or on its side, you get something called the earnings yield. And what that means is that it measures what companies can be counted on to earn for every dollar investors hold in their stock. So in most periods, the the CAP earnings yield would also far overstate what investors can expect. That's because the current CAPE is so elevated that it's likely to fall sharply, erasing the gains from dividends and the impact of buybacks and and rising profits, both of which we think have been real fuel to this upside. The second Schiller measure, however, signals that today's PEs aren't inflated at all. It may appear to be that valuations make sense because interest rates are so modest and likely to stay that way. That's certainly what the Fed is suggesting. He has, uh, Schiller, an alternative metric called his excess CAPE yield. Sorry, this is a little complicated, but it calculates the taking of the regular CAPE earnings yield and subtracting the real or inflation-adjusted rate on the 10-year treasury. So the bulls love the excess. Uh, The bears are always part of the equation. And as I say, at the end of the day, everybody enjoys the melt up. We've got to be prepared for a meltdown. We'll continue to keep our eye on what we think is important to bring it to you so that you might be better prepared for the good, the bad, and the unforeseen. But please take the time to look at what is it going to take for you to be able to retire with dignity? And two, what has to happen so that you can see in advance that if there are significant declines, they might occur in the market, but not in your portfolio. That's the deal. What can you look at to see how these declines might occur in in the public, but it keeps your assets safe from being attacked by an ugly market, where the, by an ugly bear, because they come out of nowhere. And let's understand uh, when we look at bulls and bears, the bulls throw their their the, the thing the person they're, they're attacking or their prey up. The bears push their prey down into the ground with their horns. That's why they're bull and bears. That's the explanation behind all that. So we're going to leave it there. Uh, Please join us again uh, next week, same bat station, same bat time, where we will have Dr. Richard Beswick, along with Dr. Lynn uh, Fitzgibbons from Cottage Health, talk about the iterations of this COVID virus and what is this Delta um, iteration doing and how can we keep ourselves safe so that we can have as good a life as possible. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for tuning to Fiscal Fitness. Please join John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have an excellent week.